0: John chapter 11, verses 28 through 46. We are at a a time in the life of Jesus, his earthly ministry, where his death is approaching. It is between December and spring. Uh, Beginning of spring would be when Passover would take place, when he would be crucified. And the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, in in December had already passed. And so it's in between that time, as his death is approaching, that he does one of his greatest miracles, uh, and that is the raising of Lazarus. Last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 11, and how he had heard that Lazarus was ill, uh, how two days later he went to see his friend Lazarus, to raise him up from his slumber, although he was speaking of of death, as he explains to his disciples. It was dangerous for him because it was near Jerusalem where there was great hostility against him and his apostles expected that he would die. And so Thomas says, let us go that we might die with him. And then Jesus speaks to Martha, who comes out to meet him outside of the village of Bethany. And we looked at her dialogue with him about the resurrection, the resurrection on the last day. Uh, the, the gift of eternal life even now, and how both of these things come from Jesus, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so we'll pick up now in verse 28 and read through verse 46. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for sending your beloved son to reveal your grace for us and for securing redemption for us. We pray that you would bless this good news that we have read and which will be preached. We pray that you would cause your truth to be uh, to be made plain and to be uh, kept in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, we come to this great miracle, this sign, the raising of the dead man, Lazarus, Lazarus, had two sisters and the three of them lived in the village of Bethany which was near Jerusalem Uh, Lazarus had died and there was sisters Martha and Mary Martha had just been talking with Jesus Jesus is outside of the village she maybe says wait here I'm going to get Mary she goes back to the home she tells Mary that Jesus is here Mary runs out presumably Martha also goes with her The rest of the Jews follow her because there had been many Jews who had come out from Jerusalem to console the sisters on the loss of their brother. This was, it seems, not an obscure family. They had some connections. Um, They also apparently had some wealth, we'll learn later, because Mary anoints Jesus with very expensive ointment. And so there were many Jews who were there, which will be important because they will be witnesses to this sign. So they go out, they follow Mary, And uh, Mary speaks with Jesus, and we'll get into the details, but Jesus then asks for the tomb. They go to the tomb, and that is where Lazarus is raised from the dead. And in doing this, Jesus did this sign as he did all these signs so that people would believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God, that they might have life through believing in him. That Jesus is the Savior sent by God, and we learn that he is able to sympathize with us and that he is powerful enough to raise the dead. Those are two things that we find in this passage. He was deeply moved in his spirit, and that he raised the dead man. Through this, the glory of God was displayed uh, through this great work. First, look at verses 28 through 38. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus is... Uh, deeply moved in his spirit at death, at sin and its consequences the, the how death was afflicting his friends, uh, how he saw these things and the pain that it caused to those like Mary and Martha, and so that he accordingly was also deeply moved in his spirit in his soul, he was greatly troubled, and he wept and the people around him saw how much he loved Lazarus. That love was the motivation, or at least a major motivation, of, uh, or cause of this weeping. Which I think the author, I think John, would agree with that. Because Back in verse 5, he told us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He's already told us that this is true. And so we see that love now expressed through the grief that he shows. As he comes to the tomb of Lazarus, first, you know, we saw in verse twenty-eight, Jesus called for Mary, Uh, so she came, the mourners, and Martha with her. In verse thirty-three, we find that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled Uh, when, when he saw them weeping. When he saw them weeping, he was greatly troubled in his spirit and and moved. It was at that sight. Uh, that he had this inward feeling. The word for deeply moved refers to feeling strongly about something or being upset. It could even refer to outrage or indignation. Outside of scripture, it can even refer to the snorting of horses. Uh, It's uh, the idea of, well, being deeply moved, as as it says here. He is in turmoil within him. That's kind of the idea of greatly troubled. It can mean to be shaken or, or stirred up or filled with inner turmoil and agitation. We probably have multiple emotions that are here. Sympathy with those who have had loss, sorrow at the death of his friend, perhaps anger at death, all mixed together in the presence of death and those who grieved. He sympathized with their sorrow. He was stirred in his spirit. His spirit here doesn't refer to the Holy Spirit, but to his human spirit, to his soul, uh, that Jesus, in being man, had both not only flesh, he didn't only have a body, but he also had a human soul and was capable of human affections in a way that God, is, as God, the divine nature, uh, does not experience them. He was, uh, had human uh, weaknesses, and he had human affections, and he had human emotions, of course, in a sinless way, uh, but he was still human. He had a soul, and he was grieved in this soul. He viewed death as an enemy, one that afflicted his friends, which he had come to overcome. Certainly, death had come upon mankind through God's curse, but it was God's curse upon sin, which ought not to have been here. The devil is the one who brought mankind into death. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. But why did Jesus come? Jesus came, if we learned anything from the Gospel of John so far is that he came to bring life. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. He's uh, the, uh, the one who gives life, and life that is eternal. And so he is deeply moved. He is greatly troubled, and he inquires about the tomb of Lazarus. Where, where did you bury him? In verse 35, then, we find that Jesus wept, that inner turmoil, now expresses itself. And we see that a very, at the very least, this inner turmoil was sorrow. That it is the type of emotion that expresses itself in weeping, that Jesus wept. But the Jews also recognize this as an expression of love for Lazarus. See how he loved him. This love for another person can express itself differently depending on the situation. When it's love for someone who is in danger or distress, it shows itself as mercy to seek to help them. When it's love for someone who has died, love for someone who has uh, been afflicted or love for these sisters who had lost, it shows itself through sorrow. His sorrow was motivated by his love for Lazarus and for his sisters. But then Jesus was deeply moved again. When This time at the sight of the tomb. He was deeply troubled at the sight of the sorrow of Mary and these mourners. But he was also deeply moved at the sight of the tomb. Notice it's at the sight of these things. As God, God knows everything. He doesn't have to physically be present. I mean, he's present everywhere. But as man, he saw things and was affected by the things that he saw. And at the sight of the tomb, the tomb of his friend, the tomb of the one whom he loved, it stirred his sorrow, his compassion, his passion. And as a man, Jesus had this human soul, like I said, with human affections. And the sight of these things moved him inwardly and brought forth tears. So he sympathized with the sorrow of the living, and he felt for the death of a beloved disciple. He was indignant at the ravages of death and the sin that brought it, which was the work of the devil. Now Jesus experienced grief and wept, even though he knew what he was about to do. Why had he travelled all this way? He came to wake Lazarus. He told his disciples at the beginning of this story. Jesus had come knowing that he would raise Lazarus from the death, from the dead. He would not remain in this condition. This sickness was not unto death. That's not where it would end. It would end in the glory of God. That the sorrow of these mourners was about to be reversed. And yet Jesus still wept and was deeply moved. This death and the pain those who loved him felt was still a sorrowful thing. I have to wonder, too, as he came to this tomb, it sounds a lot like the tomb later Jesus would be buried in. There was this cave, there was a rock in front of it. Perhaps Jesus considered his own impending death. He, too, would be soon laid in a tomb like this. His disciples would soon mourn for him. But before he came to die, perhaps he was even strengthened by this vivid image of why he had come to die. He would die to overcome death. He would die to destroy the works of the devil. He would die to take away the sting of death by dying for our sins. He came to lay down his life for his friends, friends like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. You can learn from these verses that there is a place for sorrow. There's a place for emotions generally and for grief in particular. Uh, there is uh, certainly excesses that can be... Uh, Expressed or, or, or places, you know, un, unlawful uses of emotions, but there's also the air of, of thinking that there isn't a place for such things, that it's godly to be insensible, uh, almost a, a stoic approach to things, but rather sorrow befits sorrowful things. There's a time to uh, be glad and, and to be joyful and a time to mourn, as Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. would remind us. And Jesus sets here an, an, an example as he is deeply moved by these sorrowful things. Death is not the way things were intended to be, and it's not the way things will be in glory. Jesus also sets an example in sympathizing with those who suffer in sorrow. He wept with those who wept. As he saw the, the grief and pain of those whom he loved and those who were around him, he joined with them in their grief And in their weeping. And he loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. And as he has loved, so you should love one another. Uh, We should seek to love others. And that can be a, a cause of grief at times. It can be a cause of joy at other times. But we should love others as Christ has loved us. Consider those who came to console Mary and Martha. They came there... Uh, Perhaps it was a mixed crowd, some more sincere than others. We know some later went to the Pharisees, some believed in Jesus. But consider the privilege that they had after coming to console them. They were witnesses to one of these greatest of miracles. We also learn that you have a Savior who is able to sympathize with your weakness you have a Savior who has experienced human life and its miseries, who has seen death up close and personal, as those, as one who has lost loved ones, as well as one who would later die. He is loving and compassionate. He is not cold and aloof towards your suffering, towards your loss, to your pain, to your frustration. Uh, he did these things sinlessly and Uh, in a way that is perhaps unlike us, but he experienced these things. Uh, He hates sin and the work of the evil one. He is zealous against those enemies like death that afflict his friends. As 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, death is an enemy and it's the last one that will be overcome as it's swallowed up in victory with the resurrection of the dead. But the basis of that is what he came to do in the first place. dying for our sins. So you have a Savior who is this Savior, the one presented in this passage, who had compassion and sympathy with those who were grieving. The second part of this passage, verses 39 through 46, show how Jesus raised the dead man. Uh, Jesus is both merciful and powerful. He wants to save and he is able to save. Uh, That he is one who is going to be willing to help in time of need, and who is able to help in time of need. He is sorrowed by death, that he is moved by this experience of death, and he is able to overcome death. Jesus raised the dead man. He began by telling people to take away the stone. The stone was heavy. It took multiple people to get it out of the way. They moved the stone. This was not the work of a single person. And he got the people involved in the miracle. They would later unbind Lazarus too. So remove the stone, untie Lazarus. There was a participation in this event. When later they would testify to this miracle, they would be able to say, I moved the stone. I smelled the stench. I unbound those linen strips. Jesus raised this man from the dead. Now, Martha comments about the fact that Lazarus was very dead. He's not mostly dead. He wasn't kind of dead. He wasn't about to die. He was dead, and he had been dead. This was the fourth day since he died, and he stank. Uh, The ESV puts it a little softer. There's an odor, a very unpleasant odor, uh, that he was uh, seeing corruption. It might show some weakness in her faith. She did not yet imagine what Jesus was about to do, but it also witnessed to the wonder of the miracle. It testified before all of those people that the sister of the dead man knew that he was quite dead, and that in fact it was on the fourth day that he was already seeing corruption and decaying. Lazarus was uh, being distorted. His body was being distorted and broken down by the process of decay. It was tangible. You could smell it once the rock was removed, it was a common understanding at that time and place that visible corruption began after the third day. You know, scientifically, we might say that, yeah, there's, there's, the process begins right away, but the, the type of visible corruption uh, began after the third day, probably after the time of Christ, but there was kind of a, a Jewish tradition that the soul would hover around the place of the body, and then once it saw the decay, Uh, on the, you know, begin after the third day, then it would leave. Well, there's no truth to that. Might not even have been a belief in the time of Christ, but it testifies to the fact that visible corruption was thought of beginning on that fourth day. And it had been four days. And so that was the case with Lazarus. Jesus was raised on the third day, which showed that his body did not see corruption in accord with the prophecy. But the bodies of the saints do see corruption. The body of David saw corruption. Our bodies will see corruption. Corruption. But that will not hinder Christ from raising the dead. That will not hinder Christ from raising these corruptible bodies incorruptible on the last day, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He raised Lazarus not on the first day, or the second day, or the third day, but the fourth day. Jesus says he would show Martha the glory of God. The glory of God would be displayed by this miracle. The power of God, the the goodness of God. She did believe, after all, in Christ, and she would see this, although her faith needed encouragement as he exhorted her to believe, to believe in him. Jesus then thanked his father. He was confident that his father had heard him, for he always hears him. He was confident that he would raise the dead in this case. But he said this so that people would see the sign and believe that he was the Christ sent by God that he didn't simply do this miracle for the sake of his friend, but he was also doing it so that people would believe and be saved, that they would understand that he was the Savior. So then Jesus called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, or Lazarus, come forth, come out of there. He calls out with a loud voice. By his very voice, without any other thing happening, the dead man was brought to life. And notice what Jesus said. Uh, He didn't say, he didn't say, let life come to Lazarus. He, he called Lazarus by name, and he told him to do something. Come out. And in so doing, he gave Lazarus the ability to do that. Lazarus had no ability of his own before this. We might call this an effectual call, uh, that he called him out and gave effect to it, gave Lazarus ability by the very call. Jesus called him, made him able to respond, so that Lazarus did, in fact, come out. He came out probably a little awkwardly. He was bound up still with the linen strips and the face cloth on his face. Uh, so Jesus tells them to unbind him, take those things off, and let him free. And they did. Now, this was a sign, it had significance. It demonstrated the divine power of Jesus. Uh, It vindicated his claims about his identity, that he was not just making these claims out of thin air, but that uh, that God approved that he was the Christ, the Savior, the one who would raise the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. And it demonstrated that twofold resurrection he had spoken of in chapter 5. Earlier in chapter 5, he had spoken of raising the dead, of his voice raising the dead, that he would speak and the dead would hear his voice and live that there would come a day where the dead would come out of their tombs and be resurrected. This twofold resurrection, a spiritual resurrection and a bodily resurrection, could both find an illustration here in the raising of Lazarus. Think of our spiritual resurrection or our regeneration, the new birth, as it's sometimes called, even in the Gospel of John. In chapter 5, verse 25, Jesus said, truly truly i say to you an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of god and those who hear will live this is talking about this age this life jesus speaks and the dead come to life those who are dead in their sins and trespasses who are alienated from god cut off from life who are doomed to death are hear the gospel hear the words of christ And are regenerated. Are born again. Are enabled to believe in Christ. And pass from death into life. And just as in the case of Lazarus. Before this call they are helpless. They are unable. They are dead. They cannot move towards Christ. They are helpless. That is us in our sins. That we are not able to save ourselves. We are like Lazarus. We are dead. But he calls his voice is given, he preaches, and it is an effectual call. It is an effectual call to those whom he calls to salvation. He both gives the ability, the will, the understanding that we might freely embrace Christ as he is offered in the gospel and come out and live. And this is how sinners are saved, by the grace of God. They are made willing They do choose Christ, but they do so because God has roused them from death and brought them to life and made them participants in Christ. So the raising of Lazarus is an illustration of our salvation, of being born from above or being born again, born by the Spirit. As Jesus continues to preach through his mighty voice, through the gospel that he has delivered. As Ephesians says, he preached peace to those who are near and peace to those who are far off, even to the Ephesians, even to the Americans, that he continues to preach peace and to raise the dead to life, to eternal life, life that never ends. But there's also a coming day where he will raise the bodies of the dead. Back again in chapter 5, verse 28 through 29, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming—so it's not yet here, it's coming—when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now we're not dealing with a spiritual resurrection, we're dealing with a physical one. All those who are in the tombs, not just the elect, some to life, some to judgment uh, but it is a resurrection of the body out of the tombs and some to glory, to life, and others to judgment. Of course, with Lazarus, it's a demonstration of that resurrection to life, the resurrection to glory, the resurrection to incorruptibility, immortality, uh, beyond even what, what we experience now, free from infirmities and weakness, uh, to be united with Christ in glory. As Lazarus was raised from physical bodily death and was brought out of that tomb by the voice of Christ, so Christ will one day speak, will come and raise the dead from their tombs. Even though they've been seen corruption and returned to dust in accordance with God's command or his ordinance, that that curse will be reversed as they will be freed from the bondage of death forever. That corruptible body will put on incorruptibility. Of course, when Lazarus was raised, he doesn't seem like he experienced that final state of glory. He was raised. There's not a lot of details given about the rest of his life, what it was like, but it seems he was probably raised back to the condition of this life and experienced years with his sisters and others, but eventually would have died as well. But there coming, is coming a day, it's not yet here, when the dead will be raised by Christ. He is the resurrection. Martha knew about the resurrection on the last day. She had said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus had spoken it again and again in chapter 6, I will raise him up on the last day. I'll raise him up on the last day. There will be a, a day, it's the last day, in which he will raise up the dead and those who are in Christ will rise to glory and to life, body and soul with God forever, without sorrow, without tears, without the afflictions which deeply moved Christ in this passage. And so Jesus is the Savior. He is God himself, the Son of God, but he became man. And so we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who became Like us in every respect, yet without sin, that he might be a merciful high priest, that he might be a savior uh, who is compassionate to us, who is able to help us in time of need, to give us comfort, to give us confidence that we have a loving and compassionate savior. But we have one who is also powerful, powerful to raise the dead, to raise us to life in this life, life that never ends, and to raise us up on the last day so that. Uh, We have the hope of never-ending glory and restoration in time to come. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And there will come a day where he will say, he'll call you to come forth. And you'll come forth like Lazarus did. Those who believe in him shall see the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. That though we are afflicted in many ways, that we know that uh, you love us. You have demonstrated this love through Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. That even now you give us help in time of need, and have fixed before us uh, the glory which is to come. The hope of resurrection, of restoration, of a cessation of these Miseries and uh, of eternal comfort and, and peace and joy. We pray that you would confirm us in this ways, that you would revive those who are lost from the dead to bring them to eternal life, and that you would bring even the beginnings of glory to us in the assurance of this hope, of joy, of peace, of conscience in all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.